I want to thank Research Consultants International for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion in projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about research consultants. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic development organizations. Call them now. They can help you create real prospects. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today we've got Bob Hess with us. Bob's the vice chairman of consulting for Newmark Knight Frank in Chicago. Legendary site selector. There's nobody in the business that hadn't heard of him on the site selection side. He's done some great projects. I got to know him when I was at the low end of the totem pole in Mobile, Alabama. As the, as the lowest project manager there when we landed the big Krupp mill that Bob worked on. And then later on, spent time at the Ryder Cup and the Final Four, which uh, I think we'd love to do now, Bob, stuck inside. We were we were just laughing before we came on. Alabama invited us last year to the Final Four, and all our memories are coming back on Facebook a year later while we're stuck inside. So I wish <laughs> I wish we were recording this at the Final Four, Bob, but thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. Hey, Chad, I'm happy to be here, and uh, I have great memories of working with you uh, on that $5 billion monster project. For me, it just comes into my mind right now. Uh, after that project was put in place, everything became chaotic and the world changed, right? So uh, it's almost like right now everything became chaotic and the world's going to change. Look, we came out of that too, so hopefully we'll come out of this COVID-19 situation again. So thanks a lot for the opportunity, Chad. Really, really appreciate it. Also, well, Bob, I know you're highly respected, obviously, on the corporate side and the site selection world, real estate side, but I know just in getting to know you outside of the boardroom that, uh, that you really care about the economic development profession, and, and I thought you'd be a perfect person to share your thoughts on where we are right now with economic developers, who are the majority of people who listen to our podcast. So give us your take from your site selection perspective of, of where we are now and, and where we might be headed. First of all, I'm sure everybody in the economic development world right now is going through a tremendous amount of change and change relative to recovery. So first of all, this is about recovery and PPE and taking care of our frontline people and getting through this. And I know the economic development community is being brought into that. I do love working with my economic development colleagues and partners. I've talked to many states and regions, and there's some people that have been redeployed into full business recovery, finding real estate assets and, you know, sourcing masks and everything. So That's what I've always liked about economic development is the flexibility and the ability to be involved in different things. So I'm sure that's drawing on several of you folks right now, or many of you folks. I'd like to thank you for that. You know, relative to the economic development of the future, everything's going to be rethought. All the business models are going to change. There's going to be more digital. There's going to be more innovation. I think robotics and capital investments going to be accelerated. By the way, business attraction. 
might be under siege. It might go away a little bit. Could be more about business retention, right? And you want to hang on to your clusters and ecosystems. So there, there might be a, be a rebalancing of the scorecard about how you're evaluated, your KPIs, your boards. I'm sure you're feeling that already. Bob, there's been a lot of talk on television, and, and every time I get on LinkedIn, I'm seeing people talk about supply chain and what manufacturing might be reshored or what pharmaceuticals might be reshored. Do you think it's too early to really think about that? How long do you think it'll take to kind of flush all that out where economic developers might get a strategy, if some of that is the case, to pursue? Well, Chad, great question. I've got that question many times. I think there's already people out there in podcasts and in my industry even the corporate clients, I've got prospects right now that are um, in-house on that topic. Doesn't mean we're doing a lot of the analysis yet, but it's in play. If anybody, I'm going to show my age. If anybody remembers the mighty Karnak from the John, Johnny Carson show, I'm going to go on record saying this time there will be a noticeable reshoring, backshoring exercise. There has to be because of issues around delivery and responsiveness and concentration and regional supply chains smaller and medium-sized facilities, not the big gigantic facilities. Everybody wants the, the big projects, right? I'm sure there'll be a few of those here and there, big hyperscale data centers. By the way, data centers aren't going to go away. They're going to explode. The cloud? Oh my gosh. That is a non-impacted industry. It's, you know, relative to regional supply chains, that's going to happen. We've got two or three new prospects in that area where we're running network models and looking at different ports where they actually uh, outsourced 10 years ago and had a recent client come back saying, hey, we want to reshore. So 10 years ago, we advised them to keep their costs down low for their product lines. We're going to have to be competitive. So we got to go to China with our warehousing and sourcing. And now they're going like, hey, I think we want to bring that back. It's like anything, centralization, decentralization, different business models. And I, I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to sound opportunistic or revenue oriented. But Chad, I will go on record saying that I think there'll be definitely somewhere a million plus jobs created because of these reshoring yeah. activities. Well, you know, I was raised in a little small town in Mississippi, wasn't the interstate for 30 minutes away. And, uh, but when I was little, we had a blanket factory and a glove factory in my little rural town. And you've probably seen a lot of the old garment factories in, you know, Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia in the South. They had the short ceilings, so it's hard to do anything with them now. But I was watching Governor Cuomo the other day in New York, just pleading to get gloves and masks. And it, it just kind of hit me. We used to have that stuff. I mean, we used to have a glove factory in my little... <laughs> in my little southern town and it just kind of hit me that here we are you know what the doctors and nurses you know in new york and new orleans is in bad shape now need we used to make all this stuff so it only makes sense that some of it's going to come back well here's the thing about that we hope to god that that peaking in demand will go down right and then some people are saying in my business like well when that peaking goes down we'll go back to normal behaviors i don't think we can we're going to remember this and so we're going to have to look at where things are and why, and sourcing, regulatory models. By the way, there could be a bigger play in automation. So it's easier to reshore an automated facility. The labor arbitrage, by the way, is gonna change. I'm a little concerned. There's old habits in my world where the senior vice president of supply chain or manufacturing says, what? I've gotta spend 40 million to save 400 million? Oh, that's cash out the door now. But if we have good liquidity, we have healthy companies in the small and mid-cap sectors. They're going to have to at least look at the alternatives. And you economic developers, us site selectors, are going to get a shot at advising those people and making sure that we can look at those opportunities. Maybe they won't come initially from China, but certainly they have to look around, Chad. You've got to look at, it's called real options theory. They have to go through a real options process here. Hopefully, 
in a few months from now when we come out of this. Thank you, Bob. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners, and we'll be right back with a lot more with Bob Hess after this. I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best buildings and sites database in the economic development industry. And now that coronavirus is hidden and everything's been disrupted, I've been thinking a lot about if I were an economic developer still, what would I do during this time? And I know without question. I would transition to Lois and get my buildings and sites as updated as I possibly could so that when we come out of this economic downturn, we're ready to go. Let me tell you why I like Lois. Uh, It is the most responsive, mobile-friendly buildings and sites database I have found. It's easy to use. It's just as easy to use on an iPad or iPhone as it is a computer. I was browsing around last week uh, on a a state economic development building and site database, and the thing, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work properly. You had to be an engineer to figure it out. It was too much. It had this circle you could draw to look at buildings. The circle wouldn't work. When I backed out, it forgot what square footage I was looking for. None of that happens with Lois. This is the best buildings and sites database I have found. I've looked far and wide. It is the most easy to use from a site selection standpoint on any platform. I'm told it's just as easy to use for economic developers, that it really walks you through inserting your information and putting it in so that prospects can use it. So I really encourage you, take a look at location1.com. Use this time while we're down to update your buildings and sites. Transition them to Location One. You'll be really happy you did. And so what do you think economic developers could be doing now to prepare? Obviously, they need to be calling on their existing industries, but is there anything, in your opinion, they can do to prepare for if they do get opportunities at some point in the future? Well, the first thing, uh, the number one driver in location for the, like, what, the last 10 years, maybe for the history of the business, has always been talent and labor. There's lots of folks out there in my business saying 20% unemployment. Some say 15, some are saying 30. It's all over the place. So you're saying like, ah, nobody's got to worry about labor anymore, you know, because there'll be plenty of labor. I think there'll be still issues around skilled labor, right? That's not going to change. You might have 5 million people available, but still only 20,000 in the area have even remotely the transferable skills or the occupational background or the skills actually to work in a highly skilled automated manufacturing environment. Now that's what economic developers know. I, I would take this time to educate yourself on operations and understanding the, that workforce at the skill occupational level, what's transferable, what are your ecosystems, and also regional sourcing. One of my first jobs was in uh, North, Northeast Minnesota. My first job out of college was a community development specialist in Duluth, Minnesota. Okay, One of the first things my boss, John Powers was his name, said, hey, Bob, we're going to do a market matching program in Northern Minnesota. What's that, John? I want you to find all the cardboard manufacturers, chopsticks manufacturers that are looking at the area. I want to look at all the raw materials. What's within this region, within 100 miles? So there I was for four months, calling suppliers, sourcing, and understanding that portfolio on that side. Economic developers are going to have to get involved in that work. And the ones that actually have those programs, have those databases, have that information, are I think are going to be a step ahead of others. I forgot you're from Minnesota. Uh, We just did the West Fargo, North Dakota Economic Development Executive Search. So we got to know that area a little. little. It's amazing how much uh, ag and metalworking and all is up through there. There's really a whole lot of industry up there. Well, am I allowed to say a joke on your podcast saying, what's what's that there in the chipper there, Chad? 
<laughs> for the movie Fargo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, how do you think site selectors and economic developers will work together in the future? Is it going to be just like it always has, or do you think that may change it? Uh, it's going to change. It's going to be change. Speed, it's going to be faster. Speed to value. I call it speed to aha. I think we're going to need people with more industry expertise and understanding their ecosystems and our life science clusters. Generalists are good in certain roles, but we're also going to need people that understand areas that stand for biotech or life science or areas that stand for medical device or your certain types of ecosystems. We're going to need people to dive into those industries, understand the business case, understand the terminology, the nomenclature, and everything I said from supply chain gaps, upstream, downstream, you know, understanding I mean, we need product too. We st we're still going to need sites. You're still going to need space. And so repurpose brownfield sites, infrastructure, power and energy. Energy is going to continue to be a big factor. And so some of those top 10 factors you read about in the big magazines, they're not going to change, but some are just going to be way more emphasized and more important to this regionalization of footprints. Well, I'm going to ask you to take your site selector hat off and just put on your, your really smart guy hat for a second. <laughs> Do you think behaviors are going to change any? Because, you know, you live in Chicago. I live in New Orleans. New Orleans is really struggling with this thing. And, uh, you know, in Louisiana, we love to hug and we like to, you know, we're loud folks and love to have parties. I mean, do you think that behaviors are going to change over this that might change demand for certain products? And not with your site selection hat, just your opinion hat. I'd like to refer to the uh, task force we all see about five o'clock every day from the White House. Dr. Fauci, you know, just referenced what he said. This is not going to be like turning a, a light switch on and off. We believe at Newmark, especially at our workplace and human experience experts, that is going to be a slight transition. And there's going to be a bigger focus on wellness. And that is going to involve, I think, maybe changing some behaviors, uh, greetings, how we meet. Uh, do we take somebody's temperature before they come into a meeting? Or is that the building uh, landlord's responsibility with sensors at the front door? So I think there might be technology and investments that will allow us, you know, once we get to a place where we can shake a hand or give a hug. I don't think we want that to go away, but I think we're going to be surrounded by those innovations in technology and robotics and machine learning and put them to place to protect us. Let's not have the rise of the robots talk about displacing our people and creating chaos. Let's use rise of the robots to help us keep us safe. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I'm landing right now on that. Well, as we sort of wind down, I want to transition to, we're recording this on April the 9th, so this won't be released for about a week, but we lost Woody Heidrich, I guess last week, might have been the week before, I think it was last week. I know you knew him well from your time in the Site Selectors Guild, but also I think he worked at ThyssenKrupp Project, where, if I remember. Yes. Uh, and so I thought we ought to take a minute to honor him, and, uh, and, and you knew him far better than me. So I'd like to ask you if you have any thoughts or stories that you'd like to share about Woody Heidrich. Well, first of all, thank you for mentioning that. My heart goes out to his wife and his kids. Woody was just a sweet man. I can just say that. And he loved the profession. Some of the things that we did together, he was always, so, clients loved him. Just his disposition, his client care orientation. Uh, he was always ahead of clients. You know, clients love it when somebody thinks ahead of them and, and tries to take care of them and gives them a good experience. So whether it was business or a personal, it was always a great experience with Woody. Some of the stories I could tell, you know, we, we traveled in five days from Zurich, Switzerland to Ireland, to Boston, to San Francisco and Singapore <laughs> on a plane with our client. Woody organized that whole trip for a $700 million biologics facility that landed in Singapore. I'll never forget that. And I've actually called the client. It's been like 10 or 15 years. And I called them. They go, Woody. Oh, this is terrible. They remembered Woody. Everybody's going to remember Woody, a great man. 
God bless and rest in peace, Woody. You're just a fine gentleman. And I think he was from Alabama. I knew he had great Alabama ties. So I got to know him when I was in Mobile. And he was in Prattville. That was his last job there. So he'll certainly be missed all across the country and certainly in the South. So let me mention something on that, if I could. It's like, I believe that's the importance of economic developers and site selectors. You know, we all, I don't think all the best ideas come from the top. They come from us working together in the field, on projects, on tough situations, how we get together in environments like this and problem solve and work together. That will not change about the best economic developers. Problem solving, critical thinking, being able to think across the value chain of what you do, relate to what our clients need, that will never change. And I think as customers and suppliers, that's what, as we are as site selectors and economic developers, the ones that have that experience and understand what that means and how they communicate, those are going to be the winners in the new norm. And I'm going to ask you one more question, non-COVID related, but we have a lot of folks listen to our podcast who are in small communities and they may only get one or two projects look at them a year. You know, if you're in the big city, I always tell people, uh, you don't have to be quite as good because if you mess one up, you're going to have another project next week. So <laughs> in the small towns, you may only have one real opportunity and, and they don't get access to folks like you very often. So what advice would you give somebody when they have an opportunity to make the most of it and really work that project professionally and well and give themselves the best shot at it? I'd like to say that I'm an advocate for rural America. And I'll tell you why. I grew up in a town of 210 people all over Wisconsin outside of Superior, which is 30,000 people in pretty remote area of Northern Wisconsin and Minnesota. I grew up there. I, I would just like to say people in smaller communities, smaller metropolitan areas, you know what? <laughs> this is a new norm. It's a new opportunity, especially if it's not about the physical placement in total. It's about people working remotely in different ways. If you have broadband and contractive communities, you might be able to retain more than your fair share of the brain power, right? and the people in your community that are innovators and the influencers. It used to be in the old days, if you were on one side of a geography, you're in the middle of nowhere. Now you're in the middle of everything. And I think that just got reemphasized with how technology is going to impact how work gets done in the future. So keep your head up and uh, viva la rural America. You know what? Uh, stay in there. All right. Well, Bob, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. I've admired you for many years and you're truly one of the nice guys in the profession. And, uh, but he can be a hard negotiator when he needs to. So part of the job. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today. Chad, all the best, man. Take care. Thanks. If you want to join our movement, which is to create economic growth for small to mid-sized companies, communities, and nonprofit organizations, please go to our website at thenextmovegroup.com, browse around, and you can see the different services we offer, all designed to create that economic growth for the small to mid-sized companies, communities, and nonprofit organizations. Most of our leads and growth has come from word-of-mouth referrals. So even if you don't need a service, we want you to know what we do. So when friends and contacts of yours might need something, you know what we do and you can refer us. So again, go to thenextmovegroup.com to learn more about the Next Move Group.